We're going to do what we do all these different Bible church. We're going to pray that God would inspire us to understand His Word today, and that no matter where you're at in your journey, that God would give you something you walk out of here with that would change your life, or that would challenge your life, or help you think differently. And that's not my prayer for you. That's my prayer for us, right? That today, I will walk out of here in some way transformed because we encountered God through His Word. That's work only God can do. And so we're going to ask for His um, inspiration and help Pray with me if you would. Father, today we come here to worship you and to sing great songs of praise to you with our broken voices and with you know whatever will come out of Father, we still bring it all to you. We just throw it in your feet and we worship you. And Father, we pray a uh, prayer of thanks that um, even when it's that you know the still small voice that we can worship you, even whenever our spirit and our flesh is resistant, that your Holy Spirit compels us to worship you. And today, Father, as we come to your word, we don't want to come with man-made wisdom or human intellect. We want, to, we want to come with divine power to understand what you're teaching us. So today we ask that you would help us to understand the word that you inspired. Help us to understand um, the instruction to the saints that was given so many years ago that we could still live out and celebrate today. And uh, I, I just pray that prayer I just said before you all know, Father, that we would all leave here transformed in some way by your power and your grace, and certainly in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So we're going to pick up where we left off last week in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Here's that word that I love. If you've not noticed how we divided the Hebrews going through it, I kind of stopped with all the therefores. Because therefore is like a logical argument. Because this and this and this, therefore this. And if you notice these reading Hebrews, there's a lot of these in there, but this one is huge because it comes right after this idea that sins are forgiven and there's no more any sacrifice required for sin in Jesus' name. Because once for all, he's bought his people, he's cleansed the temple, it's purified and it's ready and awaiting the culmination of eternity. And then the author says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, because he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good works. Let us not give up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Kind of our first thought from Hebrews today. Because of all those things, let us have confidence to enter the most holy place. We talked last week about the first covenant and the first covenant worship and how there was the holy and then there was the holy of holies and there was this veil that only the high priest could go through and all this. And I'm amazed with the boldness of the language today because it doesn't then say Jesus entered the most holy place. That's what it said last week. This week it says, therefore, let us with great confidence enter the holy I don't know what your translation says there. You know, I think mine says the most holy place. The Greek just says holy. Let us enter the holy 
with great confidence. This, this, I don't know, as we follow Jesus, how boldly do we live our lives in his name? And I don't mean boldly like a street preacher on the corner screaming at people about eternity, although that might be your call. You know, you might be called to do it. I don't know if it means, you know, in your prayer closet, praying that's your holy space and no one knows you do it. You're interceding with your family and friends and loved ones and neighbors. That might be your call. But there's definitely a call here to action. Let us then boldly enter the holy. It's this idea that we have freedom uh, to speak. Freedom to proclaim, to be part of what God is doing. Invited in to the innermost chambers with our Lord. Check it out with me. Therefore, since we have confidence into the most holy place, how do we enter the holy place? I mean, this, I want you to see the obvious stuff here. We enter by the blood of Jesus. And that's always the case. It's, it's his atoning sacrifice that gives us the ability to speak, the ability to participate, the ability to worship, the ability to be ready for the day that's approaching. And so by his blood, we're, we're escorted in, we're invited in, we're compelled. Isn't it interesting that the word says, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, like there's an expectation on the people of God. That we, we aren't just called to stay outside, but to enter in, to worship Him. It's an amazing reality. Check it out. Verse 20. By a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is His body. I want to take just a, a moment and talk about that. Um, the, the, there was this limitation worship before Jesus. And I don't know if we always understand that, you know, there was this distance with God. Even the holy people had this distance with God. But, but in Jesus it says that he opened a new way. It actually has this idea that he refreshed the way. He, he made a new course. As a matter of fact, um, the Greek is really interesting, but it, it means freshly slain way. That's kind of weird language, right? Freshly dead. That's kind of what it means. But then it says, and living, not dead like passing. Offering this fresh sacrifice, one time for all, so that you and I can enter in to the holy places in life. And this way is not dead, but a living, a living way. I have a question. I don't know. Do you understand that we are called boldly into these holy places by the blood of Jesus? So on one hand, we can say, yeah, okay, it's an, an, an analogy of the, the uh, Holy of Holies and the temple worship of the curtain, and we can enter into that place and worship, and that is true. But I think, really, there's this invitation to the people of God to enter holy space with people, to enter holy space that we experience here on earth as well. These moments, you know, we sang that song that said, um, let us um, walk in your presence like Jesus did or something. Did you hear the words? I mean, do you understand that we're invited in to that worship? That we're invited in to that ministry? What are the holy places that God has invited you into? I, I think about opportunities that God gives us to, to go be real with people, go real deep with people in, in powerful ways. God presents those opportunities. And I think there's a call on the people of God to enter into them. Holy places for me are these places that are I don't mean for me personally, this 
there are these places that are fragile, delicate, or precious. People's lives where, where things really matter. It, it, it's sacred space. You can sense it. When, whenever, whenever the tears are overwhelming, whenever the joy is bursting out of your heart, there's these holy moments that, that we are invited into in ministry. That means service to God. Worship is another word in these places. What are those holy places that God has given you um, freedom to enter into? What are the areas where God has given you boldness to enter into? I love the language here because we have great confidence. Well, Jesus dedicated me for us this new way into this living journey, but I want to show you something because I don't know how your translation reads, but mine's a little confusing because mine, it looks like it says, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. It sounds like the curtain is his body, but I, I want to make a fine little point here. His body isn't the curtain. His body is the way through the curtain. The, the body of Christ means that by his flesh, opened the curtain and showed us a journey or a path that we can enter into the holiest places of life. There's a tendency to read that like Jesus is the restriction to the barrier. He's the, the thing we have to confront to get to God. No, he's the way to God. He's the path to God. His broken body is our road to get to the Lord, Yahweh, the creator of God. And so therefore it says, open for us through the curtain. That is the way his body is open for us. So that's the, the first reality here is that we have this um, new way open in Christ by that we can enter the holy. But here's the second thing. We have a great high priest. We have a great high priest. And that, that's what it says next to them. And since, there's a second time, therefore, since we have confidence, wait, and then the second thing, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, I love this um, because it means mega priest. <laughs> you know, like mega priest. You know, like the biggest priest. That's Jesus, man. We have that in eternity, like over the household of faith, we have this priest, and that's what it comes down to, is that it all is possible because of Jesus. And if you don't understand that, you think there's still some righteous, we're going to muster of ourselves, that we have this mega priest, you know, who's ruling over the household of faith, or the house of God. I love that. Because I think we have a tendency to this little Jesus that we can put in our pocket, you know, we got this Jesus, you know, and then we try to do life, and no, he's the great high priest over the household of faith. And, and the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, I said that over and over again, they made this claim about the price and the person of Jesus Christ, that, that he makes these ways possible, but no, it says here, we have sent, we have a great high priest over the house of God. Because of that, 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and a full assurance of faith. That's the first thing. The word means a genuine heart. A, a heart that's not hiding from God. And I think in the church world, this is the hardest thing to have. I don't know if it's hard for you guys to have it. It's the hardest thing for me to have is a genuine heart. I, I, I feel this pressure all the time to like have the right answers and say the right things and do the right things, act the right way. And that's not, that's a heart that's kind of hiding. It's covering itself. It reminds me of the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, right? They just, I know, 
humdrum, I'm sanctified anymore, but I'm just going to hide part of my heart from No, it's a genuine, non-hiding, sold out, before the Lord, heart. Why? Why would we have that? Because we have a great high priest, a mega priest, who, who loves us and sanctifies us. And so we just go, God, here's my whole heart. Authentic faith. It says, because of the great high priest, let us draw near to God with a genuine heart and full assurance of faith. Having the full measure of faith. Second thing, and this was the great imagery from last week. I don't know if you got this, but this just messed me up. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. We talked a lot about that last week, right? About seeing um, evil the way God sees evil, you know? Seeing the way God sees the world. It's, 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 it's having a mind that's cleansed, that's it's, um, cleansed of evil and see, or sees evil right. Wherever it is, our, our hearts have been changed, sprinkled, cleansed from this guilty conscience, this life of sin, this broken, brokenness that we have always known. And then look, having our bodies washed with pure water, being cleansed in his name. And that language is crazy to me, right? Transforming when we see the world and then washing us clean, purifying us. The human experience is so not that way. The human experience is so, it's it, it always become pessimistic, right? Um, overwhelmed with the brokenness that we see. And you don't even have to say, look at the news, but look at, look at our lives, you know? And man, it's so easy to not believe this, that Jesus has people to wash us clean, to purify our bodies, to, to, to set us aside for his holy use, because we feel dirty, broken, gross, you know? It's like, no, no. This great high priest calls us to draw near with a non-hiding heart, Carrying the full weight of our faith because our hearts have been sprinkled clean and our bodies have been washed in pure water. I wonder, um, do you know that that's true for you? I, 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 I wonder if you know that if you believe Jesus died for your sins, right? If, if, you, if you know Jesus, these things are true for you. That's a radical reality for me. That, yeah, I see the world differently. But I'm truly clean in His name. He's truly washed me. I didn't wash myself. He washed me. And if you're, if you know Him as Savior, He washed you too. We have to learn to live in that reality. We've been cleansed and washed. Therefore, not no therefore, but here it is, 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, because here it is: He who promised is faithful. You're given a command. Hold on tight to what? To the hope we profess. Hold on tight to Jesus. Hold on tight to that claim of faith in your life. There is the idea here. It says, let us hold unswervingly, or just you know, hold fast. What it means, like hold. I didn't say tight. I don't know how you say that, but just hang on to it. There's this idea that we can just kind of start to let it go. 
of this Jesus thing. It's written to the people of God, right? Therefore, let us draw near, know we have this confidence, and let us hold on tight to the hope we profess. Why should we do that? Because the one that promised is faithful. The one who made the promise to us will keep his word. Therefore, hold on to it. And check this out, 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Um, I, I love, uh, any horse riders here? Anyone? Ride horses? No one. Anybody seen a cowboy movie? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. It, the language is so funny, you know. I put that quoted out of, out of like, you know, that, you know, let us spur one another on to, to love and good works, you know, love and good deeds. Um, the funny thing, and I know, we actually, yeah, there might be one here there, right? We have, we have some cowboys here, but, like, the spur, you know? It's funny how language, like, if you saw the Western, like, he's wearing spurs, you're like, I don't know what that is. And you go to the Bible, spurs on, and it's, oh, yeah, kind of encourage one another, right? Um, the, the word actually means antagonize, or irritate, or annoy, <laughs> like, do you think it's funny that you have to be annoyed into love and good deeds? As the people of God, do you think it's crazy that you would have to annoy me into love and good deeds? Those spurs on the back of the boots, you know, you just, right? Yeah! Well, I've never actually ridden a horse with spurs, but you know, I can imagine, right? Or the whip, you know, see those people, right? I mean, it's this thing that of your own volition, now wait a minute, of your own volition, you might just be happy to stand out in the pasture and eat grass. You, you might be pretty comfortable, right? Have a little nap or, I don't know. It says, no, don't do that. Hold fast to the hope and spur one another on. I always think of cattle prods. Have you guys gone to Rural King? You know they sell cattle prods at Rural King? <laughs> and they have the ones that you don't have to be close with, like three-foot cattle prods? Right? Like. Loving good deeds, loving good deeds, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> stop, stop it, stop it, I'm going, I'm going, right? That, that's the kind of compulsion we need. From who? From one another. Come on, go, 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 what are we doing? We're the people of God, go. Do you, do you know Jesus died to forgive all of our sins? Do you know he gave us that message to carry to the rest of the world? Let's go do it. And that, brothers and sisters, hear me now, isn't comfortable. There's something in our human condition that's kind of poignant here, isn't it? Let us hold to the hope and let us consider how we may spur or annoy or cajole or aggravate one another on toward what love, agape, and good works, things that matter. <coughs> don't, don't waste your life on things that don't matter. Do something. Do something. Wait a minute. That we need one another. You see what it says? Let us spur one another on. That means I need you and you need me to, to, to press. To say, let's, let's go. Let's do this. Interesting. 25 draws this point home. Check it out. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but let us encourage one another all the more as the day is approaching. I mean, there's this, and this, this text has been talked about a lot in church because it means go to church, right? 
Uh, don't quit going to church. That's what the Bible says. Let us, you know, uh, continue meeting together, not give up. It, it, the, I love the language. It has this idea that you kind of just walk slowly away from it. That's not only saying, I can't be left behind. That's exactly what it means in the Greek. Leaving behind the community of faith. The author of Hebrews says, don't do it. Don't, don't do it. And, and, and I think this is probably one of the greatest troubles we have is specifically in the West and North America. It's this rugged individualism where, you know what? Me and Jesus, we got this. And you, and you disobey the very encouragement of Scripture and you wonder why you aren't doing so hot anymore. You just slowly walk away. You abandon the faith. You might say, wait a minute, man. I got my faith in my heart. But there's this idea that God says, no, it's in this community of faith where you're spurred along good works to love. And we have a tendency to just go, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to leave that behind. Or be deluded. I, I've outgrown that. Man, there's so much in here, right? Like, if you if you are walking away from the community of faith, and I mean the big C church, if you're, you're walking away from that, you're not only saying I don't need them, but you're saying no one there needs me. Scripture says, no, we need one another. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are making their habit of practice. Let's don't do that. Right? And, and the, the idea of meeting is this kind of pressing together of the saints, this, this compressing of the people of God into this space where it's uncomfortable and you can, you know, again, you kind of are, are tight and it's awkward and you're bumping into each other, but that's where God wants us to be so that we're moved, we're spurred on. This life. I just need some pasture, man. I just need some space. I gotta get out of here. This place is crazy. But this place is God's plan. I don't mean the building, right? I mean the people. This place with other people is God's plan for our life. And there is a real danger, and I hope you can hear me today, but there's a real danger that if you think that all you do is get away from people and you'll be fine, that you don't understand what God is doing. I need two real quick points about this. One, the Bible famously, as we said, the Bible starts in a garden with two people and it ends in a city full of people. Right? It starts with some people, well, I'm going to go back to the garden. No, we're going forward to the city. There's going to be a lot of people in heaven. It's going to be God's redeemed people and there's going to be all this, you know, um, work and these things to do, but we're going to be together. It's great. My favorite book by C.S. Lewis. It's called The Great Divorce. Anybody read that? Great or worse? Yeah, a few of you. One of the images that Lewis offers of hell is people who need to move a little further out to the country so they can be okay. A little further from the population center. And he ends up describing people. And this is allegory, and he's, this isn't scripture, but he explains that there are people who have isolated themselves as faint points of light where no one can reach them or communicate with them. And they live in houses that can't protect them from the elements. And they get no rest. And they're miserable. And they're alone. And he says, that's hell. And that's not God's plan. If you find yourself in that mode, and I'm not, we knew seasons, right? But the call is to be compressed together with the people of God. As much as you can bear. Because it's for your good. It's for your good. So, if you're not called to 
abandon the, the faith, meaning the people of God, if you're not called to walk away, it says, let us not give up on meeting together, being pressed in, as some of the habit of doing as their ethos, but let us encourage one another, and all the more, or encourage one another, and even more, as the day is approaching. And this is pretty simple, right? But it's this idea, and I'm going to talk real quick about this kind of thing we do in the church. And, and I've been struggling with it lately, and I'm just being really honest with you guys, right? The call of the church is to not judge one another for the sake of judgment, but to encourage one another. And it kind of goes like this. You can do it. <laughs> you know? When you want to say, like, you can do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can do it. And not because I have confidence in your ability, but I have confidence in the Savior you're claiming is in charge of your life, and therefore you can do it. Where else are you going to hear that kind of encouragement? The author says, that's the kind of encouragement you find in church. So when you get together, things are hard. You can do it. You don't know what to do next. You can do it. I'm not sure if I'm going to make it. You're going to make it. How do I know? Because Jesus said so. You're going to make it. And I'm going to make it by His grace. How often do we need to hear that kind of encouragement from one another? I think about um, people who are running a race, and they get to that point, and people on the side of the roads, and they're cheering. And if you've never run a race, you probably don't appreciate people on the side of the road cheering. And you probably think, well, that's kind of dumb. Why are you standing on the side of the road and cheering people you don't even know? I can tell you if you've run a race, and I want to run a few, those people matter. <laughs> because they're like, yeah, you're almost there. Push, you can do it. And you're like, yeah, I can do it. That's kind of what it's about, right? The church should be that kind of place where we're running the race and we're looking like we're tired. We're like, you can do it, you know? And you just keep running until the day. Oh, wait. Encouraging them. Encouraging one another. And more. I love that. Not, not just words. Helping. Oh, my goodness. Check this out. The word <coughs> for um, calling out one another is the same word. You might have heard it before you've been in church a while. Paraclete. You know the other, the other person who's the paraclete? The Holy Spirit of God. Isn't that radical? That when you sit with the brother or sister and you look and you say, you can do it. You're partaking in the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I think the Holy Spirit can do it without us. He is the paraclete. But that's the same idea here for the church. In this place, we get encouragement boldness and action. We can respond to the gospel. We can live it out. We can follow Jesus in radical ways. And call the church to say, you can do it because the one who promised is faithful. Now read on with me then. 26. Then there's this, here's this problem. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone, I'm going to read a few more verses here. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses and died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses, how much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has, resulted, uh, who has insulted the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, and I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. There's an implication here. 
that by continuing together and pressing on, um, holding fast to the hope we profess, that we have this battle of sin in our life. The word is if we, if we intentionally, wait a minute, if we voluntarily continue to sin. Which is crazy because that means it's actually a choice that you can continue to make. Knowing Jesus, you continue to make sinful choices in our lives. Now, I know we say, well, all of us sin. And I'm with you. All of us sin. You know, that's, we, we were sin-filled people. And yet, the word here says, if we voluntarily continue to sin after we've received this knowledge of the truth, that is that Jesus makes a way for us to be holy and sanctified, there's no sacrifice left earlier. The imagery of walking away from the people of God is the same imagery used here for the sacrifice no longer being available. There's no, no, no sacrifice left. If we willingly, openly continue to sin, knowing the truth of who we are. There's an illustration here about back to Moses, right? About those who died in the desert without mercy, the word says, right? And then this, how much more, if, if, if those were judged for not being obedient to Moses, how much more will we be judged if we're disobedient to Christ in our life? How, how much more? And what's the problem? There's three primary things that I want you to see. The first is that by voluntarily sinning, we choose to walk on the Son of God. That's what the word says. You, you put him under your feet. I don't know if you remember a couple weeks ago we talked about um, Jesus is waiting for his enemies and made his footstool, right? That, that he, would, he would stand on his enemies. That here we have the inverse of that through sin. That, that by openly and willingly sinning, we stand on the Son of God. We, we make him as, as rubbish to us, not worthy of our attention in any way. That's that humbling heart stuff. The second that we consider his covenant blood as ordinary, not extraordinary. Nothing special. Wait a minute. Did you catch what it said? The covenant blood that sanctified you, the blood that was sprinkled on us to make us holy and pure and blameless in the sight of God. And if we know that gift and we've been sprinkled in that way and we choose willfully to voluntarily sin, it's, it's like we're saying... Just the blood of Jesus. It's the big deal. There's more of that king. Ordinary. Nothing exceptional. Commodity, which we can use at will. That's not the commentary of the scripture. It's that the blood is precious. And he shed it because there was no other way. That it came with great pain and suffering. Agony. Beyond earthly suffering. Beyond the flesh. A spiritual battlefield. Shed blood of the Son of God. And when we willingly, openly choose to sin, it's like we're going, man, it's okay. It's alright. It's nothing special. And the third thing is that we insult the Spirit of Grace. This voice is complicit sin. Sinner come home, you know, child of God, you're redeemed by the blood, you're invited to you know. We just kind of don't know that. Whatever. What's really wild to me is that this exhortation against voluntary sin comes again in the middle of talking about the need to meet together as the people of God. To compel one another, push one another toward love and deliverance. Always counting Christ as worthy. Man, those are three things now. You go, you know, 
back it up, you say, oh my goodness. I mean, I don't know if you convicted about that. Like, I get totally convicted by that. Like, well, do I understand that that's what the Word of God says? And when I know that we sin, I walk on Jesus. I treat His blood as ordinary, and I, and I insult the Holy Spirit. There's this little line here. 31 says, it's a dreadful, fearful, terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Right? It's not to be some mean sky daddy. He's just holy. You know, he's made a way for us. And it's a terrifying thing to fall into his hands unprepared, unready, or uncleansed. 32, the office of encouragement for us. Remember those earlier days after you had received the life. Remember those early days, right? When you stood your ground in a great contest of faith, of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. And other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those who were in prison. And you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. I love that, right? At the end of this, if you voluntarily sin, like, it's all this stuff. But don't forget where you've come from. Don't forget the grace you've known. Don't forget the God you've experienced who's strengthened you in times of need, who's called you forward with boldness, who's called you to suffer with one another, right? That we're all invited to be in this together. Because, and, and listen, you gladly and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your stuff because you a better and a lasting possession. We sang that song that my always gives me this world has nothing for me. Like we sing that in worship, but we believe that. I don't mean the world has nothing for us like we're indifferent to the world. But there's nothing in this world that ultimately matters. That, that line, every time we see it, I go, ah, I'm not with that line. Because my heart there's a lot of stuff in this world that matters to me more than it should. Remember. You have a better and lasting possession. So, 35, don't throw away your confidence because it will be richly rewarded, your faith, right? You need to persevere so that when you have, look at the word again, so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what has what He has promised. For in just a little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with them. Now, here's the options. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Do you see the directionality of belief? We are not those who, who shrink back and are destroyed. We are those who believe. It's directional belief and are saved. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. The call uh, to enter in is certainly a call into that inner sanctuary with God, but it's a call to enter into this community of faith. And it's, it's this call to live out our faith together. I don't know if you agree with that. And um, I can tell you that I've talked to a lot of people who don't. I don't mean they say they don't. They'll say, oh yeah, it's, it's important. But they'll put it somewhere in the list, you know, of things that I do in my life. And I don't mean coming to church, I mean being around believers, asking um, real questions about how we're doing. Encouraging one another all the more as the day approaches. 
this is part of the gift of faith that God has given us in each other. And, uh, I, don't know, I don't know if you've you experienced that or not. I hope that we will. I hope we will more and more all, all the time. But ultimately, it's part of the simple, it's part of a simple um, message that Jesus died that you could be free, that I could be free. And no matter how hard the world gets, no matter how difficult the days become, I think remembering that um, should give us great confidence and hope. I don't know if you know Jesus like that, and I want to say to you that he's available all the time. We don't present him once a week for your consideration that you feel up to it. You can receive Jesus as Savior. Um, we believe that the Holy Spirit of God right now can go to us beckoning you. Believe the good news. Believe the gospel. Believe in Jesus. And, and if you're like me, you had that heart to say, I'm just going to hang on a little while longer. Our prayers would stop. And you would obey the Holy Spirit and believe the good news and be saved. And that's not a show or a program or something. It's the work of God in your life. And you can take that to the bank. You can live on that the rest of your life. If you don't want it today, I would encourage you to open your heart and your mind to the possibility as much as you're able to be receptive to the gift of eternal life. And if you're like me and you hear about this voluntary sin, you're like, oh, man, I live in sin. I know it. I, I just pray that today you with me repent of that. Just repent of the sin in your life. Recognizing today the reality of what it means and then believing the good news that Jesus died for all our sin, we were indeed made of pure mind and washed clean with pure water. We're going to go together now to God and talk to Him about it, and that's what we're going to do in prayer and just talk to Jesus. So join me if you would. Father, today as we come into your sanctuary, the place that you call holy, this moment with you where we, where we see these words of we want to see you with our eyes, we want to see right to you, and all this one and we intimately again. This place is sacred and holy and demands holiness. And so today, Father God, I pray that for those here who don't know you, that your Holy Spirit would um, compel them to come to faith. They would know you in a way, I mean, in a radical way, Father, that will never be the same. And, and they would be changed forever by your grace and your mercy and the hope of the gospel. Father God, for the conviction of sin, we give thanks and praise because it's only by your spirit that we know, we know that we're doing these things that aren't pleasing to you. I pray, Father God, that in, in a very real, authentic, spiritual, like, um, non-fleshly way that we repent of that sin and we open our hearts to you. I want us to be the kind of people who lay our hearts bare before you, not hide and say, God, do with us what you will. Have your way in our lives. And Father, as we continue to follow you together, I pray that we would live out these words of Scripture and compel each other. Oh God, would you have mercy in your church and call us forward in faith. Give you praise and glory for this time. We come to you now and worship. Let's give you praise and glory because you